Welcome back to Highly Respected. I'm your host, Scott Greer. We've got another jam-packed episode of content today, so sit back, relax, and enjoy life under quarantine with me, Scott Greer. I will discuss Thomas Massey's libertarian opposition to the coronavirus relief bill, Libs bringing up the Weimar Republic to defend voting for Joe Biden, the Trump genocide meme, Adrian Vermeule's neo-lib integralism, and we will remember country music legend Joe Diffie. Let's go! First up, let's talk Massey. Kentucky Rep. Thomas Massey was the lone Republican to stand against the coronavirus bill. He almost made Congress fly back to Washington in the middle of a pandemic to vote on the bill. Just because the Constitution says so! Massey said he opposed the bill because it was big government and it supposedly violated the Constitution to not record a proper vote on it. A lot of dissent right folks thought Massey was pretty based for this lone voice of dissent. But was this based? No. It was actually libertarianism at its silliest. Massey was right to call out the pork and wasteful spending in the bill. Fine arts centers don't deserve eight-figure bailouts, especially in the middle of a pandemic. We can all agree on this. The problem is that Massey ignored the nationalist concerns with the bill. He didn't mention the $350 million awarded to refugee assistance in the relief package. He also didn't complain about how the bill bars any money going toward building the wall. There's no reason to support more immigration and ignore our weak borders in the middle of a pandemic brought to us by mass immigration and open borders. Those were the main problems of the bill, and Massey ignored them. Massey framed his argument around lame, limited government concerns and how we need to focus on the deficit. It was like we took a time machine back to the glory days of the Tea Party. I almost wanted to put on a Minuteman outfit and grab my musket. One Republican aide perfectly nailed Massey's protest, telling a reporter, Massey's a clown in a tricorn hat pretending like it's 2010 again. He's got no plan to improve the bill because there's no magic Bitcoin fix. This isn't TARP. It's basically nationwide hurricane relief. The aide was probably an establishment lackey, but he was right on the mark. America faces a major crisis with coronavirus, and the free market is not going to save us here. The free market, in fact, is begging for a bailout. The government needed to act and fast. Of course, the coronavirus bill wasn't perfect. But the longer Congress waited to pass a bill, the more average people would have grown angry at lawmakers. And you can bet Republicans and Trump were going to take the majority of the heat for whatever delay occurred. Massey would be more worthy of praise if he based his attack on nationalist concerns, such as opposing the prohibition on wall funding and the millions for refugees. Instead, he made his protests about cringe libertarian concerns. Massey, now, is not a bad lawmaker. Unlike most libertarians, he's pretty good on immigration, and he has a B rating from Numbers USA. Most importantly, he is arguably the most resolute non-interventionist in Congress. He opposes the saber-rattling against Iran and Syria, and was the only Republican lawmaker to criticize the strike on Soleimani, or one of the only few. He also courageously wondered whether the chemical attacks attributed to Bashar al-Assad were false flags to drag America into war. Now that's based! His non-interventionism is why the establishment hates him and is why he's praiseworthy, but his view of the state is out of touch with the nationalist moment. Massey's protest shows why we need more lawmakers seriously committed to the America First agenda. The fight needs to center on the American people versus globalists, not big government versus small government.
Now onto some history, mainly pundits one and only historical reference, Adolf Hitler and World War II. A few days ago, liberals and leftists argued over whether voting for Joe Biden is like picking the Weimar Republic over Hitler. You will never believe who they think is Hitler. Yes, it's Orange Cheeto Man. This debate started over left-wing activist David Kleon asking if anyone was happy to vote for Biden. Yukon history professor Manisha Sinha was one of those happy campers, saying in the most arrogant way possible, Historian here, happy to vote for the Weimar Republic over Hitler. There was a lot going on in this post. For one, Sinha specializes in abolitionist history and frequently lectures America about how evil we were to have slavery. This is rich coming from an Indian woman with a surname that indicates her family is high caste. The caste system was one of the most oppressive hierarchies in the world, and Sinha's family likely benefited from it. But don't expect her to apologize for that. She's too busy shaming white Americans for slavery. Sinha also went full awful. This is different from the normal awfuls, where it is affluent white female liberal. This is affluent high caste female liberal, a similar species, but different. In any case, she went full awful mode in response to her critics. In the Twitter thread in response, she mocked her critics for lacking the knowledge she, a historian, has. Sinha snarkily tweeted, Even better were the ones from experts who had read more history books than me. The best were those who accused me, an African-Americanist, of being an elite intellectual who teaches only whites. Yes, Miss Sinha is a high-caste African-Americanist, whatever that means. Leftists mocked her for seeming to fail to understand that the Weimar Republic brought Hitler to power rather than acting as a real alternative. They even claimed the Weimar Republican government was more left-wing than Joe Biden, which totally ignores how all the last chancellors of the Republic came from right-wing parties. Many of them hated the Republic, such as Franz von Papen. But to these leftists, Biden is a fascist. Bernie Sanders is the only option. But the real reason to mock Sinha's commentary is that the American chattering class's obsession with seeing all current events as a replay of Nazi Germany. Trump is Hitler. Biden is the Democratic Republic. Bernie must be Ernst Tailman. It's stupid and reveals how historical references there are, how few historical references there are in the American public. There's pretty much nothing. It's just all World War II repeated ad nauseum. It reminds me of when neoconservatives in the George W. Bush era thought every opposition to interventionism was Neville Chamberlain reincarnated. There was even a hilarious article about how Bill Kristol had repeated this same historical analogy hundreds of times. This is back when liberals hated Bill Kristol. Now they love him. In any case, the World War II era is the Harry Potter series of history. Like liberals needing to read another book, it's time for our supposed intellectuals to learn about another historical period. We certainly aren't living in the Weimar Republic, but that's a topic for another podcast. Moving along, and on a very similar topic, Libs made Trump genocide a trending hashtag over the weekend. What the hell does Trump genocide refer to? Is Trump somehow rounding up people and shooting them over a coronavirus? Not exactly. Libs believe that Trump is intentionally depriving blue states of needed medical supplies in order to wipe out Democratic voters. This amounts to genocide. Apparently, all the ventilators and face masks are stored up at Mar-a-Lago's secret facility. This wasn't a trend promoted by anonymous trolls. 
Blue checkmark journalists who get published in respectable outlets were promoting this idea that Trump is committing genocide somehow through coronavirus proceedings. Georgia Southern professor Jared Yates Sexton, who has been warning that Trump is worse than Hitler for four years, wrote a lengthy Twitter thread on how Trump is laying the foundations for genocide with his policies. Most of Sexton's thread was a rambling diatribe about how America committed genocide against Indians and others, and this means Trump can do it again to liberals in New York through ventilator deprivation. This idea is completely bonkers. You have to be demented to even believe it. Trump is sending plenty of resources to New York and other blue states. Many of these places with supply shortages are in red states. Coronavirus is most deadly to people over 60, which is a strong Trump voting bloc. Trump shows no side of genocidal intentions. And even if he did, he couldn't do it. Like, what do you think that Trump is some strongman dictator? More on that in a second. This meme should count as the coronavirus disinformation liberals are so fixated on stamping out. Yet none of these tweets or posts were censored by Twitter. If you tweet out your musings that the virus may have been engineered in a Chinese bioweapons factory, your account will be banned. If you tweet out that Trump is intentionally trying to exterminate left-wing New Yorkers, you'll garner thousands of retweets and find yourself in the trending section. Libs seem not to mind about this theory, probably because it promotes their ideology and promotes their narratives about the coronavirus response. There are two elements at work here. One is the popularity of insane conspiracy theories on the left due to Trump. Two is the left's desire to see Trump as a dictator when he clearly isn't one. We've been inundated with crazy conspiracy theories ever since Trump became the Republican frontrunner. We were told by well-respected outlets and pundits that Trump was secretly working with Nazis and took orders from Vladimir Putin. Nutjobs such as Louis Mensch and Eric Garland were given platforms by some of the most prestigious outlets in the country to spew their nonsense theories. All this occurred while the media zealously polices supposed disinformation from the right. The Great Replacement is a conspiracy theory, but Putin controlling the entire Republican Party is a plausible idea. Similar to the previously mentioned Weimar Republic references, liberals imagine Trump as a dictator when he often appears as a weak president. Trump can't pass major, major legislation. He can't have his sensible immigration orders upheld by courts, and his own cabinet members frequently betray him. Remember John Bolton? He sometimes does strongman things, of course, but often he's hindered from doing anything by the swamp. He can barely enforce immigration laws, much less launch a genocide against Rachel Maddow viewers. It's not just liberals who are posting cringe these days. The so-called post-liberals are also getting more insufferable. Harvard Law professor Adrian Vermeul, a self-professed anti-liberal Catholic, outlined in The Atlantic this week his common good constitutionalism. Vermeul says that the chief legal theory among conservatives, originalism, is out of date and needs to be replaced by a more robust conservative system. Originalists challenged liberal legal orthodoxy by trying to uphold the original meaning of the Constitution. Most of Trump's judicial appointments would count as originalists. In contrast, 
Vermeule's common good constitutionalism would base itself on substantive moral principles instead of a rigid interpretation of the Constitution. He believes officials, including judges, should read these principles into the majestic generalities and ambiguities of the written Constitution. He goes on to say, and I'm going to try to emulate Vermeule's voice here, so bear with me. These principles include respect for the authority of rule and of rulers, respect for the hierarchies needed for society to function, solidarity within and among families, social groups and workers' unions, trade associations and professions, appropriate, appropriate subsidiary or respect for the legitimate roles of public bodies and associations at all levels of government and society, and a candid willingness to legislate morality. Indeed, a recognition that all legislation is necessary, necessarily fun, founded on some substantive conception of morality and that the promotion of morality is a core and legitimate function of authority. Such principles promote the common good and make for a just and well-ordered society. I believe that voice captures the real authentic spirit of Adrian Vermeule. Hopefully my listeners agree. Anyway, Vermeule's theory all sounds good at first glance. Originalism isn't necessarily inclined to support nationalist policies. Neil Gorsuch, the foremost originalist on the Supreme Court, has ruled against tough immigration enforcement. Originalism is almost autistically focused on the Constitutional's original intent rather than what's, on best, for, rather than what's best for the American people. However, Vermeule's alternative is likely worse. It's basically authoritarian globalism on behalf of an undefined common good. Vermeule's theory gives liberal judges and other elites greater power to rule on behalf of their own interests and claim it's the common good. The only difference from left-wing theories is that there is a greater reverence for religious views and that there is a desire to say it's all for the common good rather than saying it's for individual autonomy or something like that that is more common to liberal legal theories. This common good is never clearly spelled out in Vermeule's article. For whose common good? Where do we derive this shared good from? Vermeule doesn't spell it out because he wants to appeal to his liberal readers. The Harvard Law professor, who is no fan of the Greer, wants America to become a Catholic theocracy where the church has a greater say over public policy and the lives of citizenry. This would be horrifying to Atlantic's secular readership, so Vermeule doesn't articulate that position. Instead, he appeals to the reader's biases. He alludes to his support for gun control by declaring it revolutionary that the originalists found a constitutional right to own a gun, which he calls a, starting, a startling break with the Supreme Court's long-standing precedence. He also mentions how common good constitutionalism would suppress dangerous free speech, a popular item for control freak liberals. He also says his theory would crack down on anti-vaxxers, which liberals would love to do. They hate anti-vaxxers. So this is all playing into liberals' preconceived notions and prejudices. And it's trying to say, oh, well, common good constitutionalism would support your interests as well. Vermeule briefly mentions how abortion and sexual liberties will be viewed differently under common good constitutionalism. But he only says this from the perspective of dunking on libertarians. He doesn't say how these two issues will be treated differently specifically under the common good regime. Many on the dissident right like Vermeule because he seems to be a trad Catholic who reads reactionary thinkers and wants to crush liberalism. 
but his alternative to liberalism is really just an authoritarian globalism blessed by the Pope. Vermeul is terrible on the major domestic issues that concern nationalists. He backs gun control, supports speech oppression, and wants open borders. He articulated his immigration stand in an obscure Catholic blog a few months ago. He wants America to exclude nearly all whites from migration and favor non-white Catholics. He also wants an open border with Mexico. Here's what he says. I venture to say that any opposition to this proposal almost necessarily defends some alternative principle of immigration priority that allocates fewer spots to non-whites and to the poor and is thus a troubling indicator of racism and classism infesting whoever voices that opposition. We must overcome the know-nothing bigotry of the past. Catholics need to rethink the nation-state. We have come a long way, but we still have far to go towards the eventual formation of the Empire of Our Lady of Guadalupe and ultimately the world government required by natural law. Vermul is no threat to a liberal order. He's part of it. He's co-authored many works with the preeminent liberal thinker Cass Sunstein. One of those works was a paper on how the government needs to cognitively infiltrate radical movements and undermine them by planting doubts about the theories and stylized facts that circulate within such groups. Hmm, really gets the noggin joggin' about Vermul's current positions. Is Vermul's anti-liberal image pretty authentic? I think not. His job at Harvard is not threatened despite his supposedly dangerous ideology. At best, his legal theory is a harmless LARP that his dorky followers can fawn over. It will never come to fruition. At worst, it's a gift to the globalist order and invites our elites to be even more oppressive in advancing their progressive prerogatives. It's all for the common good, right? Originalism is out of date and it is not suitable for the nationalist moment, but at least defends gun rights dissident speech, and the right to have borders. Now to end the show on a somber note. Coronavirus took away an American legend last weekend. 61-year-old country music legend Joe Diffie succumbed to the virus. Diffie is famous for such 90s classics as John Deere Green and Pickup Man. Diffie was a true man of the people. He proudly sported a stash, mullet, and beer gut at the peak of his popularity. He truly did not care about looking highly respected. Diffie didn't aspire to make sophisticated music. He made music for middle America. Yes, his songs were pretty corny. I mean, all of them. I mean, John Deere Green is a very corny song. Pickup Man is maybe one of the corniest country songs of all time. And there's a lot of them. Yet, they were wholesome and catchy. You've got to love a song that extols the alpha qualities of pickup truck owners. We will surely miss Diffie, and we send our thoughts and prayers to his family during this difficult time. Rest in peace. Hopefully many water towers bear Diffie's name in the coming days. Well, that's all for this week's episode. Until next time, stay respected.